Hey everyone, this is Lee Foster, and you're listening to Action, the no bullshit podcast dedicated to the pursuit of acting excellence. On this episode, Michael Kostroff returns. But before we get to it, I want to say that I started this podcast about a year and a half ago, and I've done 50 episodes now. And I started it to get the questions answered that I never heard asked. And I feel like I've done that. Um, For that reason, I'm going to take a break. I may be back. I may not be. Um, I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to drink my coffee in the morning and walk in the park and smell the flowers. And I'm going to work on my acting. And I hope that I see you all on set one day. I'm sure I will. I just want to say thanks to all the actors and the casting directors and the directors and the coaches and everyone else who was a guest on the show. Um, But more importantly, I want to thank everyone who ever listened to this show, Uh, everyone who ever reached out to me and told me that this was benefiting them because that's what kept me going for all these 50 episodes. I really, really, truly appreciate it. So... For the last time, possibly. Enjoy this episode. Michael Kostroff, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we had some listener questions for you uh, coming through Facebook and Twitter, and so uh, I'm just going to get right to it. So Great. Pedro Juan Fonseca asks, what should a supporting actor keep in mind when approaching a scene? Hmm. Uh as with all of these questions, uh, by the way, I looked at the questions in advance and they're really good because they're kind of meaty. There's, there's something that I talk about in my workshop that I think actors neglect when they're preparing, and that is to sort of figure out what your character's job is in the story. I'm going to take a little tangent here, which I think will also be helpful to your listeners. You know, when we're first starting out, we go in for these little, you know, one and two line roles, and they're really hard. They're hard to book. And one of the reasons is that actors try to do too much with them. They try to go, oh, this is my chance to show all the things I can do. Uh, But if you take a step back and say, well, what's the character's job in the story as an audience member? What do I want from that character? That really helps a lot in the preparation. So, you know, if you are uh, the guy who operates a a bridge, a drawbridge, and you got to say, hey, you can't go there. You You can't drive across that. It's not safe. That's your only job is to tell them it's not safe, not to have a whole big backstory. And you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. um, the same applies with, with supporting roles, where you know your, your job is obviously a, a little more involved. But I find it helps to go, what's why did the writer put this character here? What how how, how do I serve the story best? I think that's really a, a helpful approach for a supporting role. Um, I mean, for any role really. And um, I'm not sure if the, uh, if the question also pertains to sort of like onset demeanor and behavior. Why not? Um, why not, right? Um, I've learned a really interesting thing in my work that's, again, not what most of us would think of. You know, um, big stars deal with gushing fans wherever they go. You know, it's not easy for them to go out. And when they're at work, they want to be in their protective bubble where they can just be who they are, you know, doing the work of being an actor. Most of them, I find, 
are not looking to be worshipped or gushed over or have people, you know, t- talk about how much they admire them. It 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 makes it makes them have to be on duty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I just did a, <laughs> such a name droppy horrible thing, but it really it's really for the point. I just De Niro. De, De Niro. I told did I tell you about that last time? No, yeah. but I know about it. You know about it, yeah. Which which you know I was as freaked out as any of you would be to be working with De Niro, but my part of my job on set was he had to be Bob. You know, he had to be able to be Bob and not be Mr. De Niro or, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm working with you. I needed to protect his bubble. And it's it's sort of flipping the, 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 the approach to take care of the other person rather than, you know, having them meet your needs, you know, uh, and and, you know, to come on and be nervous, it just makes them have to work harder. So you almost have to have to bring a certain veneer with you, like you do this every day, and protect that actor's ability to do their work. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and and you know, I, I believe me, I, I don't feel worthy to work with De Niro, and I, I, you know, and the same goes for, you know, I've worked with Sally Field, a couple of people that I've that I've crossed paths with. I had to get in there and work like we were in acting class together, working out the scene, you know, um, for their sake. Uh, so that's another. I think that's another part of it. Is we get very. I mean, it's no secret we're very self-involved, and we get very wrapped up in what is this part going to mean for me, and how do I make an impression? And that's really not the best approach. I think serving the piece, serving the story, you know, uh, um, and 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 serving the work atmosphere is uh, all stuff that's worth thinking about. And incidentally, I find all that calms me down. Because deep down inside, none of us feel worthy. That's just the truth. So um, it, it helps me have a, a calmer, more of a craftsman-like approach to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah I, I will say that um, my brother is a screenwriter, and I've talked to him over the years many, many, many times about screenwriting. And I've never taken any classes on screenwriting, and I've learned a lot from him just about the structure of films and therefore the structure of TV as well. And I think something that's so elemental, but a lot of people don't, a lot of maybe new actors don't really think about, is that every scene in every film or television show is very important, and it's moving the story along. There's no scene that's just there. No, there's no fat. There's no fat. They cut everything out. And therefore, if you're in one of these scenes, there's a very specific reason that you're there, and it is to move the story along. It's not right. to show off. It's not to um, be an interesting character necessarily just for the sake of being interesting. It's right. for the purpose. You know, you just put it in a really great way because when you do that, you're bringing fat into it that's been cut. You know, right. you're, you're bringing confusion and intrigue that's not part of what the writer's trying to do. And, um, boy, that's a hard – you know, it's the reason why I say booking, booking small roles is really hard. You know, to be willing to just come in there and say – you know, you guys, the mayor's on the phone, and just have that be your whole gig and just get the information out is very hard for actors because we're used to finding deeper stuff underneath the text, but uh, that's not always the job. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you, you've just put it in a great way, which is there's no fat. You're there for a very specific reason. Do that, you know. That's not to say rush and don't do the job, you know, and, and rush through it and, and be unobtrusive. It, you, it just means do the job of the character not your desire as an actor. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, I have a question for you that, that sort of pertains to what you were uh, talking about uh, yeah. with, with these big actors. 
Um, if you don't mind me asking you, Michael, let's say you go out and you're alone and you grab a coffee in the morning and you walk mm-hmm. around New York all day long. Mm-hmm. How many times on average would you say you get recognized where, where somebody you can tell somebody recognizes you or they come up to you and say, or they say, Hey, you're the guy from the league wire or whatever. Well, um, I mean, it happens. My, you know, my wife tells me it happens more often than I realize because she'll say you were just recognized. And I, you know, I don't walk around thinking, Oh, I'm that guy from TV and I'm, I'm not sort of not on the lookout for it, but, but people do come up to me and talk to, uh, and talk to me. Um, not infrequently. I can't. I can't kind of guess how often, but I, I, like I said, I'm not on the lookout for. It. Like I just went out and got coffee, and I didn't. I didn't check to see if anybody knew who I was. I always <laughs> assume that no, nobody does. But um, let yeah. me uh, let me let me tell you why I'm asking it. So yes, I had uh, a short recurring role on Chicago Fire, as I think I told you, and right on the heels of that, like after the second episode came out, I was riding the train, and. Uh, I could tell that people knew who I was, a, a few people, maybe like two or three, right? It was no, it was no right. big deal. And it was kind of like, like that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then recently yeah. I, I've become uh, pretty close friends with a, a girl who's a reality celebrity who gets recognized constantly. And right. I have talked to her about it, and it's a double-edged sword um, where she she's always nice and she enjoys it, and there are some mm-hmm. perks – but there's also downside, and I've I'm a little bit scared of mm-hmm. fame. I, I've never wanted to be famous. I don't want to be famous. Yeah. Um. And I and I just wanted to know if it's if how annoying it is or what you think about oh, you know. Yeah. Great. I can. I, I'd love to answer that. I I am. Um, I my experience has been really positive. Really positive. I, I you know. Part of it is what's the thing that you're recognized for, and I will say if you're recognized for reality, that's a certain kind of person who's going to come up to you, right? right? And I'm mostly recognized for the wire, and that's a certain kind of person, you know. That's right. a that's an intellectual, you know, um, detail oriented kind of a TV viewer. Um, I have only had a, maybe a couple of experiences where the person was a little creepy, but really very few. I think maybe maybe two or three. That I can think of, for the most part, I, 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 I tell you, it's really interesting. How people come up, they're like, "I'm sorry to bother you." I'm like, "Bother me? How many jobs are there where strangers walk up to you and they go, I like how you do your job.' Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and and because I'm a big geek and I never expected to have any success at all, I'm still marveling at it. I'm still feeling feeling very flattered and very honored. I mean, because it's not easy to, to you know, I know I get shy around people I recognize. I never talk to anybody. It it takes an effort to say, I'm going to walk up to this guy and hope he's not going to be an asshole to me. So I'm immensely flattered and grateful, and sometimes I get into interesting conversations with people. You know, um, I ran into a cop, uh, a guy who's a detective on on a train, and he was telling me he liked the wire, and I said, well, sit next to me. Let's talk. We had a train ride, and we talked, you know. But also that's that's me. That's my nature. I, I like, you know, engaging with people, especially people who like my work. I happen to be partial to them. So, um and I've had a couple of this being New York, I've had a couple of really funny encounters and funny sightings. Uh and then, you know, I was on this Disney show called Sunny with a Chance and that's a whole different kind of an audience. And my wife tells me that they you know, it's usually 
young teen girls, and they'll sort of look at look and point and go, and they won't come over. They'll just sort of like recognize me and talk to each other. Um, and that's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but you know, I share the same concern you do. If I got as if I got as famous as some people, I. I, I Listen, we should be so lucky, right? It would be not a terrible thing if we were that successful. At the same time, I would hate to not be able to just go out. Yeah, right. I'll add one more thing because I'm incredibly verbose. The other thing that contributes to this is the kind of persona that you project. There's a big difference between a guy like John Lithgow, for example, and uh, a guy like Jason Alexander. Very accessible, normal. They're not (laughs) Charlie Sheen. They're not, you know, they're not in the in the tabloids, they're not projecting, you know, a bunch of mystique and, you know, they're just guys who work and, as actors, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can imagine meeting, I mean, I know, I know Jason, but I'm sure, I'm sure if I met John Lithgow, he'd be like, oh, hey, you know, just a regular guy. And I think that's part of it too. I think it's part of the response you get. The only yeah. thing that's weird also for me is that I'm best known for a really, for playing a really horrible person. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes people are like, Oh my God! You were such an asshole. I'm like, okay, that's good. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but listen, I, I think it's, I think it's lovely. I think it's lovely. I, I, I wish that people would come up and talk to me rather than stare at me because that sometimes I forget that I'm on TV and I'm like, why is this person staring at me? What's your problem? Uh-huh. And then I go, oh yeah, that's right. I'm on television. Uh-huh. So. Um, <laughs> One of the encounters I had when I was on that train is uh, there was a guy who was just staring at me staring at me in like this like I knew that it wasn't a, a come on of any kind right 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 and right. he was looking at me and then because I, I was totally unprepared for it I looked at him and he just pointed at me and like like winked and like you know yeah. clicked his, uh, right, right. Uh, his uh, finger and I was like that's like the weirdest interaction I've ever had <laughs> it was basically get, him just going like I know who you are I get that all the time I get that I one all the time I like that yeah, you, you like like you tried to sneak by me I know who you are yeah Oh, uh, that's great. All right. Next question. Um, this one is from Walter Jack Savage. And by the way, if anybody has uh, questions for you or any of my other guests, the best way to do it is just to go on to uh, action underscore podcast on Twitter and just leave them there and I'll I'll get them answered. So, yeah, Walter- I mean, I'll, I'll come back if you want. I like, I like, you know, I used to be the advice columnist for backstage, so I like fielding questions. And by the way, what, what's his name? Is it Walter Jack Savage? Is that his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's, a, that's Walter. That's a badass name. I mean, that's like a romance. That's like a romance novel, like you know, action flick. Uh, badass name. So good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Walter says, in light of working with such a fantastic ensemble of black actors on The Wire, where do you come out on the idea of Hollywood ignoring actors of color during the recent award season and in general? Okay, this is a big fat question. So. Yeah. Sit down and put your helmet on. Um, and again, I'm just one actor, just one one guy's opinion. You know, I, I am. I can I can make a case for both sides of this so quickly uh, because I uh, not quickly, but but I have very passionate feelings about it. I am. You know, I um, racial issues are really important to me. Let me just put it that way. I, I you know I grew up going to New York public schools. I, I I'm like you know bathed in the black community. <laughs> Growing up in New York, and I, I'm I'm a huge like Black Lives Matter guy. It's I can't overstate how passionate I am about that. Um, and I love The Wire because you know 
there, to me, there was a, a message underneath the message of The Wire, which is, you know, if you write the parts, the talent is there. And I was very excited about that. Now, that said, I, I get a little bit itchy about – this is a tricky issue. It's a tricky issue. I, I'm concerned that um, – you know, I, I think the Academy Awards can honor whoever the hell they want. And I think that they, that when you start to demand and protest and try to steer that, then they're no longer evaluating based on what they perceive as artistic merit. Um, it should be pointed out that it's not every year that this happens. It was this particular year. I, look, I agree. I would not have made the choices that they made. I think people were really great performances were really overlooked and great work was really overlooked. Mm-hmm. I agree. But I feel like that every year. Sometimes the overlooked person is a white person. Sometimes the overlooked person is, is, is you know, a white male. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm never going to agree. I want to temper our conversation. I'm mostly concerned with justice, you know, justice at the hands of the police force, justice in our, uh, in our elections and our laws and the way black citizens are treated in the real world. <clears throat> I'm a lot less concerned about who gets a, a statue. I think we get confused and we think that everything has to be just and justice and fair when really this is an opinion thing. Now, should we advocate for more inclusion? Yes. Should there be more black projects? Yes. And Latino and Asian. There should be a lot more projects for for a variety of of people because I think you get more interesting stories and and we reflect more of our society. I Personally, and I know somebody's going to be mad at me for saying this, but you asked, and this is my take on it. And uh, as a, again, I come from a very passionate about black issues place. I, I I'm not for protesting the Oscars because they don't because I don't think anybody's entitled to an Oscar. I think if you have any employment in the arts, you're so lucky. I think mm-hmm. if you are have enough employment in the arts that somebody would even think that you should be a nominee, a nominee wow, you're really super lucky. And to say, well, I demand, I was overlooked, I should have gotten, you know, this, this, and this, I think is, I think it's a little ungracious, especially when you are, you know, people who've had the benefits, great benefits from this business. And um, I'm just saying that I would like for the Academy to be able to honor whoever the hell they want to honor. And if they are slanted white, then they're slanted white like a lot of organizations. But I don't think that we should confuse the selection of nominees with racial justice. I'm more concerned about much lesser known citizens who are being beat up and killed by cops. Right. You know, uh, that's something. That's something. That's something that I will protest and worth, and, and that is worth fighting for because it's that's beyond unacceptable. That's real. This is okay. just the movies, man. The movies is never fair. Show business has never been fair. When's it fair? You know, that's where gotcha. I go. Yeah. All right. Um, so this question is an interesting one because it's from another guest on the podcast. Um, Chris Agos was on a, an episode recently, and I was talking to him yesterday recording another episode. And he's been in a ton of stuff. He's got an ongoing recurring role on uh, Chicago Fire and Chicago PD, and he's been in a ton of stuff. Um, and he said, uh, he was like, hey, ask this question for, uh, ask this question to Michael for me. So I was like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> So he says, uh, this is going to be very specific, and uh, this might uh, exclude some of our audience, but that's okay, because maybe it'll include, you know, the minority of the audience who are working. Well, and also, also everybody's looking forward, so, you know, that's, exactly. it, it, it's something you'll learn for later. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So um, 
for the people who don't know, uh, when you're in the union, there's what's called scale, which is like a specific amount that's preset by the union based on contracts and negotiations where an actor who works a day on a show gets this amount, and then it's all... Minimum. That's yeah. the minimum, yeah. That's the minimum, yeah. So here's a question. We all start out doing co-star and other small roles. Hopefully we progress through the ranks to eventually land guest star and recurring roles. So here's my question. In TV and film, how do you know when it's time to stop working for scale? What's that conversation like? And what set of criteria do you use to justify the ask for a higher rate? Uh, again, a really awesome question <laughs> and a meaty question. And you have to tell me if my answer doesn't apply in Chicago because I think things work differently. So um, He's actually in L.A. now, by the way. Oh, he's in L.A. Great, great, great. Mm-hmm. Um, ours is a tricky business because one of the things that our job requires of us is that we have to constantly assess ourselves and our status, and we have to do it pretty accurately. We can easily overrate or underrate ourselves. Uh, like, I, I know that I tend to underrate myself, you know, uh, like like my agent is always saying to me, no, you can't go do do this little play for $200 a week in the middle of pilot season. I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, I have to be reminded. But, you know, both are dangerous. You know, I've also known actors who have, you know, hardly any credits and will say, well, I'm not going to audition anymore. They just have to offer me jobs. I mean, we do a lot of crazy stuff. But so we have to be very, very um, accurate in our assessment of our assessment. Okay. Um, um I think the, the 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 quickest and easiest answer is that this is a question to have with one uh, a conversation to have with one's agent. The agent is is better at giving an outside perspective than you are. It, it's great to go to your agent and say, "Listen, am I at a place where I should I shouldn't do co-stars anymore?" Or, you know, I I, I you know, can we work on upping my quote? And again, I'll, for your listeners, your your quote is um, the the amount that you usually work for. Like if you are if you start making more than scale, then your agent takes note of that and says, well, his quote is this much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's sort of a starting place for negotiation. It doesn't mean you, you never make less. It doesn't mean that, you, you know, uh, but it's, it, it, it justifies them asking for it because you've made it. Anyway, uh, so you might go to your agent and say, Can, what do you, what, how would you feel about trying to start upping my quote? Now, here's the thing. Agents love to negotiate. They love it. You know, it's less interesting for them to just take a job for scale. So they enjoy it. And, and I think a good agent will be honest with you and say, look, I think it's too soon for that. Or they'll go, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's um, all of those little steps are scary. You, you hold your breath and you go, oh, God, because, you know, am I really that person? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but they're also very good when, when, they're, when it's the right time. It's a really good step. Uh, I remember when I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to do any more co-star roles. I'm, I'm only going to do guest star hire. That's scary. Because you think, well, who are you? Who the hell are you? But um, it does start to redefine who you are in the industry. Um, the other thing is it's good to remember that it doesn't cost anything for your agent to ask. Mm-hmm. Nobody, gets aff- nobody gets offended. Nobody hangs up the phone and goes to another actor. They just say, no, we, we, we're not able to do that. And that's the conversation. It's just business. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for us, it's personal because we're, we're the product. But for the agent, it's, it's, it's not a big deal to ask for that. Um, where, when do you, how do you know? Well, I think one of, the, one of the signs is, are you willing to walk away? You know, if you're, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're like, okay, I've done this many jobs for scale, and now I really think it's time to move up. My agent agrees with me. So 
you know, at a certain point, you might want to insist on it and say, well, it has to be over scale. It has to be this much. And I'm willing to walk away mm-hmm. if it's not. And that's a whole other thing. And again, I want to be more encouraging than discouraging. It takes a lot to select an actor. A lot of people have to sign off. By the time they picked you, they want you. Now, it doesn't mean you can ask for the moon, but it does mean that they might they might budge a little rather than go back to the producers and say, well, we lost that actor. Who's your second choice? You know? Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to encourage anybody to be grand and start to think they're uh, you know, a higher commodity than they are. But uh, but it's I, I don't think it hurts to ask. I, um, part of it is like when you meet your future spouse, they say you just know. Part of it is you just know. Mm-hmm. You, you just you just kind of go, oh okay, okay, I've done that, and I'm, it's time to to move on. I remember I, I did a lot of theater for free when I was in L.A. and I was doing this one really good but really difficult production with a lot of personalities and a lot of drama and. One night, I came into the dressing room smiling, and the other guys are like, well, why are you smiling? I said, because I just realized it's my last time doing theater for free. <laughs> and, I, and that was it. I never have again. <laughs> it was just time, you know. Right. But I think, I guess the most important thing to realize is that going over scale is not offensive. You know, asking, asking for over scale is not an offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and the deep down fear we have that somebody's going to say, who do you think you are? You're not. It's not that it doesn't happen. That right. doesn't happen. Right. It's more of just a yes or a no. Another thing to consider is that, for instance, if you're making scale and then your agent says, we're going to start pushing for double scale, and 25% of those jobs you lose, but 75% of the jobs you gain, you're still making way more money because the double scale makes up for it. And I had this experience because – I know it sounds weird and people always laugh when I say this, but I do a ton of hand modeling for commercials. Uh-huh. Yeah. And okay. and I, I've done enough where at one point, before I thought I was ready, granted, like definitely, I never would have done this. But my, my agent was like, we're going to start asking for double scale. It scared the shit out of me because I was like, you're going to lose jobs for me. These are gonna, I, I didn't say that, but I was like, oh, no, this is not a good thing. And sure enough. Now I get paid double scale all the time. And sometimes they say, yeah. And then sometimes the agent will come to me and say, hey, they can't do double scale. Do you want to do it for the regular? And I'm like, hell yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I'll I'll tell you a parallel to that. You know, I'm I'm not the most demanding performer, but the one thing that – one change that I made sort of recently was – I don't want any more honey wagons. When I go on the on the set, uh, uh, and I'll explain for anybody who doesn't know, a honey wagon is the smallest size dressing room, and it's a it's it's like a metal, uh, small metal room that's about, it's got like a, a little cot and about the, about the same equivalent of width in addition. It's very small, mm-hmm. and it's where they put the the, the you know the, the the sort of the, the smaller roles, and you know, um, and the actors who are in larger roles get. Uh, what they call a triple banger or a double banger, which is um, a trailer that has a real dressing room in it. So I, I, I decided, and again, I took a deep breath and I was scared, but I said, I don't want to do, I don't want to do those little little closets anymore. I, I want to be in a in a triple banger dressing room because I'm playing parts that demand something of me, and I need to be able to rest and study lines and feel comfortable. So you know, and you get a TV, and it's 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 damn nice, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My agents were like, absolutely. I said, I want to make that a deal breaker. They said, absolutely. Even with that, there was one job where the casting director said said to my agent, please ask Michael 
don't make this a deal breaker. They really want him, and we really don't have it in the budget. And I said, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, so I didn't lose the job. You don't lose the job until you say, no, I'm not going for that. Mm-hmm. Um, once they picked you and made the offer, they're obligated to negotiate, and they don't hang up the phone on, the, on your agent. You know, right. I, they don't. It's just not the way the business works because, again, it's business on their end. It's not emotional. Mm-hmm. So um, nobody has, will say, well, if, if, if Kostroff is demanding a, a dressing room, we don't even want to work with him. No, that's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're going to say what this casting director says is, look, it's, it's just not going to happen. We just It's going to be either we have to go to another actor or he takes the, the honey wagon. I went, I'll take the honey wagon. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, so yeah, same, and it's the same with money. First of all, like I said, I, I go back to my original thing, which is your agent is the best person to talk to about this because they really know your career and they know the business and they know what's reasonable. Mm-hmm. And they like to push. They like to negotiate. This is what they do. They get, you know, if they get you to a higher quote, they make more money. And then mm-hmm. they make more money consistently, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that a, a good segue now uh, is into talking about actors having integrity, having respect for themselves. And yeah. I think that would be a good thing to talk about now. And I was talking to Chris Agos about this yesterday. I was telling him that sometimes I get sent scripts where uh, the it's something for out of town and it's um, probably like a low-budget SAG film or something. And uh, they want me to audition for a part, but they're asking me to memorize. They want me to be off book. And it's like seven or eight pages of dense dialogue for Uh a minimal amount of money on a first audition. What I used to do is I used to always think, because you always hear people say, uh, just say yes, do everything you can do. And I agree with that. I agree with that. But there's a point at which you go, my time is worth something and I'm just not going to do this. And I started doing that rarely. I mean, it doesn't happen often, but every once in a while it happens. And I just say, I'm just not going to do this. And it, you know what? It feels great. Yeah. I, I, you've, yeah, you've said a mouthful. I mean, I, um, a lot of it does have to do with how, how things feel to you. And so I'll, so I'll say that, you know, with, in the case that you mentioned, there are other ways to look at it because my philosophy is you're not getting the fucking job. So for me, I'd go, yeah, I'll memorize it. I'm going to do the best, best performance I can if that appeals to you. But when it doesn't, and it feels feels like like uh, come on, I'm jumping through hoops for nothing. I I think, as you said, it feels good, and I think I think people don't realize it, it, it becomes part of who you are. It becomes part of the product you present. So then, when you do go in on the big network job or whatever, you feel a little bit like you got you know some 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 stuff to you. Mm-hmm. You're not somebody who's willing to just roll over and do whatever anybody tells you, and you're not desperate. You you are somebody you know just by saying no to some things. You become somebody who has some choice in your career and has some opinions about what kind of work you're going to do, and that's really valuable, you know. Yeah, so it's 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 an interesting thing, and I think we don't pay enough attention to dignity. I think it's it's um, I think it's an important part of an actor's toolkit, and it's something that the the profession doesn't give you. Uh, but I don't think we should abandon it and go, oh, well, it's an undignified profession. I think we should cultivate it constantly. Mm-hmm. And dignity is not arrogance. You know, it's not I, – I know too many actors who've tried to build up their self-esteem by turning into just arrogant pricks mm-hmm. who think they're, think they're a big deal when they're not. We're not talking about that. We're talking about 
letting things line up in a way that makes you feel good about your work and feel like like you have like like an artist like like somebody who has a has something valuable to 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 share not just somebody who's desperate to do anything.